out just about two kids. They're sitting down by a river in the swamps. They're sitting down on a log. It's, one of them is a, kind of a big fella, and the other one is a, a little bit smaller, and he's got a long bib cap. And they sit there pondering on what they're going to do for the night. And anything the big guy says on, the little guy's far because he digs him. He's cool. So it's cool. Roosevelt and Ivy Lee. Chickens, no rose visit like his name. Yeah, yeah. Sure so good. I love my chicken. This is uh, Ink Studs, uh, CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Uh, my guest this week is Mr. Tony Millionaire, the uh, new wonderful uh, book, The Art of T- Tony Millionaire, fresh out from uh, those fine folks at Dark Horse. It's a lovely book, Tony. Thank you. I, I, I'm very proud of it. It's uh, it's funny. Like I last had you on the show three years ago, and the show's kind of... a uh, fuzzy memory because I think I've talked to about probably 200 cartoonists since talking to you and so I forget things and then reading this it's like oh I kind of remember talking about that like the yeah. uh, the story of you uh, I think it was your birthday and you're climbing on top of a taxi and oh yeah driving around yeah they wouldn't let me into my it was like my 40th birthday I decided I better, I'm going to cut my drinking 
uh, cut the, the hard alcohol out of my drinking. So I decided to switch to only wine and beer. And so I I guzzled like four bottles of red wine and was completely drunk. We decided to get into a cab and go into town, into Manhattan. And I, they, could, they wouldn't take that many people in the cab, so I got on top of the cab and started screaming into the windshield, let me in, how dare you? I think everybody just jumped out of the cab and the cab driver just took off. And so I was going up Washington Avenue at about 40 miles an hour. I said, I better jump now before he gets up faster. <laughs> so I jumped. I ripped up my leg, pants leg ripped up, and I got a big cuts and bruises and gashes on my legs. But I then I decided to switch to only beer. And since then, has it been only beer? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, on a rare occasion, I'll have a, a shot of liquor, but it's pretty much all Budweiser. I a classy mean, beer. Oh yeah, I mean, I like <laughs> Budweiser because it's the kind of beer you can, you can just drink it all night while you're drawing, and it doesn't really affect your drawing too much. At least for me. No, nope. it's not light like Bud Light, which is like just drinking gallons of water. Yeah. I'm a fan of the Pabst Blue Ribbon for some reason. I enjoy it. Yeah, a lot of people like Pabst Blue Ribbon. It's uh, similar beers. They're just a r- your cheap American lager. Yeah. Those fancy beers got to get in the way. Like, okay, if you drink two of them, you're like, well. Yeah, you get. It's like you've eaten a meal. Yeah, it's like eating a loaf of bread. Dark, black, dark, dark brown bread. No. You know, I don't like dark brown bread. <laughs> <laughs> I like it if it's a sandwich, but I don't want to sit around eating a sandwich all day. There we go. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. The first being the book, obviously. Um, what was the idea behind doing the book? That was so, so much fun to make because I didn't do all the work. I didn't do most of the work, the hard work. The people at Dark Horse said, you know, you got to do an Art of Tony Millionaire book. I said, come on, that's like so... I mean, I'm already an egotist. I'm already an egomaniac jumping on the table screaming, I'm Tony Millionaire. Do I need a book that does the same thing? And they said, no, you don't understand. People really want to see this. They want to see, like, how you do it, where you live, where you're from, what it, what it's, what it's, uh, what the process is and all that. And uh, these books, like, they sell really well because, you know, people like... They want to see more than just the comics. Mm-hmm. So I said, fine, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do one of these books where I talk about what type of paper I use, what kind of pen I use, and what was my first job and all that stuff. And I'm just going to pull out all my junk and give it to you. And I want you to act like you rummaged through my attic when I was dead and you just p- patched it all together. And that's what they did, but, I was, but I'm not dead. And so... They just arranged it like the stories from my childhood. And then I wanted to write stories. They said, you're going to have a lot of text. I said, well, the text isn't going to be about process or how I draw. It's just going to be stories about fights I got into and squats that I lived in in Berlin and how I almost drowned, stuff like that. So they said, fine. So that's what I did. And it's a lot of photographs of me living in Berlin and New York and Boston and all the crazy parties I used to have. I, th- I think my favorite was the story of uh, the uh, disco tech in Berlin. The what? The the blown up disco in Berlin that you. Oh uh, yeah. 
good story. It was we were just driving past that discotheque. We saw it explode. Something looked like something had happened. We didn't know what it was. And this friend of mine in the car said, "I need photographs." And I said, "Well, come on with me." And there was German police and and American soldiers all around it. And they, I have a cold. If you can hear it. And they, uh, so I said, "Come on in. I'll get you in there." And I ran in there, and I was wearing a tuxedo from the, another party I was coming from. And I started screaming, my wife is in there. And I, okay, buddy, calm down. What's your wife's name? And I saw my friend was in there photographing, and then she she got all the photographs she needed. So I said, what do you mean, wife? I'm not married. And the soldiers, the American soldiers said, all right, a wise guy. Get over here, you. And they took down my name. They got it wrong. And then uh, somehow there was some reporter standing around, and she had, she wrote the whole story down. And they brought me over to these German soldiers, and they said, "You soldiers, you hold this man." And then they walked away. And the German soldiers they can't speak English, so they uh, the German excuse me the German police the German police can't speak English because that's that's who the German police are. Mm-hmm. And I I just said uh, I just spoke German to this police boy what are those guys what what's the problem and they said i don't know i said okay see you later and i walked away so the next day i got i found in the front page of the uh berliner morgan post there's a picture of me because that was everybody i guess all the all the action had left before the press got there except me so somebody just took my pictures screaming help my wife sally is dancing in there and then it was on the front page of the Boston Herald. And my parents called and said, What are you talking about? We didn't know you were married. Why didn't you tell us? I said, I'm not married. Don't worry, I wasn't hurt in the discotheque. <laughs> <laughs> the, one of the really neat things I found in the book was your family's history in making art. Uh-huh. It seems like everyone that you're descended from was an artist at some point. True. My grandfather was an actor. My other grandfather was an artist. He was pretty good with pen and ink. He taught me pretty much how to use pen and ink. <coughs> My grandmother was like the she was the best artist in the family. She was the she would do portraits with watercolor that were just beautiful. Just really captured the pe- captured the the subject she was painting. Uh, more than more than just getting a likeness, she's just really good. My dad was uh, worked in advertising, so he's a good designer. My mom was an art teacher, so I put a bunch of stuff from them in the book because I figured I'd show that. One of the things is your grandfather was friends with Roy Crane. That's true. Yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Well, they went to college together down in. Uh, in Texas somewhere they lived they, they were it was in Wichita Falls Texas and they went to college uh, Roy Crane and um, and what's that guy's name Les Turner yeah that's yeah I don't know who Les Turner is Les Turner was the guy who worked with Roy Crane on the wash tubs and Captain Easy and all that stuff all right and my grandfather they really wanted to be uh, I guess they went to they ended up going to college together in Philadelphia or someplace. And they all wanted to, wanted to talk to my grandfather because they wanted to hear his Texas accent, he said. And he thought, they thought he was a great cartoonist. But he, um, 
he's he's a pretty good illustrator, and he could he illustrated for like adventure magazines. But he didn't really know how to like get a story going together with pictures. So he always wanted to be a cartoonist, but he never was. They left that to me. <laughs> oh, I think you've done a good job. Yeah, thank you. Um, another neat thing that I discovered in the book was the little story of the uh, the tugboat in each of the Mackies. Yeah, that's mysterious. I, I, I never even noticed it, and then after reading your story, I started looking for the tugboats. It's in every strip, almost. Mm-hmm. You want to let folks know about the, the that, mystery, or keep it... Keep it's it mysterious. It's a mystery. They'll have to read the book to find out. You'll have to read the book, and you still won't find out. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is, is a no... One day you'll know what's going on with that little tugboat. One day. Pick up the book, The Art of Tony Millionaire. It, it, it's interesting going through your, uh, I guess, your early s- stuff. How much of that did you include? Uh... Of like everything, I put, put stuff from when I was eight years old, and then I put stuff from when I like when I was in Berlin. I was doing performances. I put a lot of stuff in there, and then I would send comics home now and then to my to my uh, sister. But I wasn't really into comics. That I, I was, I would read every comic I could ever find anywhere yeah. all the time, right up until you know I started drawing them, and I didn't start drawing them like. Like seriously, till I was like I was about forty. No, I was about I must have been yeah, like thirty in my late thirties when I started drawing Dicky Crow, Medea's Weekend, and the other stuff I was doing in Brooklyn. But um, yeah, I put pieces of from everything in there. I just wanted to have a lot, a lot, and then that towards the end of the book, you see, it's got. Uh, I wanted to put in some some examples of progress, like process, how mm-hmm. it how the page is put together from all the way from little thumbnails to I mean really crude thumbnails all the way up to m- more complicated thumbnails and then sketches that final work and it's nice to see all that work from the believer in there oh, as yeah. well yeah I do portraits for the believer so there's a, had a lot of portraits and uh, there were so many of them that I couldn't remember some a lot of them who they were so I would just write like some guy with sunglasses what was I'm sure somebody's going to say, "Hey, what are you talking about? That's uh, that's Jerry Portwood." <laughs> What's the deal with uh, Victor Caro's baby brother? Where was that printed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was printed anywhere. Caro <laughs> 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 wanted a, wanted somebody to draw a picture of his baby brother, <laughs> and he described him as having a long beard, being in a wheelchair. And uh, I drew it, but I, I don't remember what I ever did with that. I think uh, maybe I said it to Danny Hellman's one of Danny Hellman's zines or something. <laughs> well, it's very uh, apropos, yeah. as they might say, for uh, for the disturbing drawing. It is. <laughs> it's like a little thing. Oh, one thing I didn't really realize going through this is um, you seem to have a really strong connection to the zine days. Oh yeah, that's where it all started. Yeah, and I didn't really know know that or realize that. Like you, like one you talk about the the sports scene that you did. I think it was it. Oh yeah, Murtaugh. That was a great magazine. It was uh, run by Spike Russo. It was still writes sports somewhere in New York. I forget who he writes for, but he uh, 
he had his beautiful zine, but it was almost all about baseball, which was the only sport that I ever even remotely cared about. And so I did this this comic called Batty, which is a this comic about a drunk and alcoholic uh, uh, old time old time sports baseball player. At one point, somebody says, "How do you how do you manage to keep your career going with a batting average of point of point two one zero? He said, "You idiot! It's not my batting average; it's my alcohol blood alcohol content." Now. I had to try to. I had to hope that the numbers would work out because I don't know anything about if a point two one zero batting average is good or bad. I have no idea. So I had to ask Spike in order to make the joke work. So, but it worked, <laughs> out, worked out fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a high alcohol. Uh, it's a high alcohol. alcohol yeah. <laughs> Whether it was a low or high batting average, I wasn't sure. Now, what was the the Tony Millionaire shows you were doing? Like their variety shows, or just weird? Comedy shows. Yeah, we started off with oh those things. Those those are the weirdest things. Those were done um, when I came back from Berlin. I found my girlfriend in bed with another dude, and then I said, "Okay, this, what am I doing in Berlin? This is ridiculous." So I came home, singing sad songs, playing my old accordion. I couldn't barely. I could only play by pushing the the chords. <laughs> Not, not the, the just pushing it back and forth together. I push it back and forth, and I push little round buttons, and they would automatically play chords for you. So it sounded like I was actually playing. And I was walking around drinking beer out of uh, like a saucepan, beer or wine, whatever anybody would pour into it. When I was living in this uh, squat in uh, Boston, actually, it was a loft because in, in, in Berlin, you lived in squats because you didn't, you know, you were taking over the government, doing it, taking over the city, you know. Yeah. And we weren't paying for them, but in Boston, we, you know, you live in a loft, so you can pay the rent. So uh, then we decided to do Tony Millionaire shows because I had I was always wearing these tuxedos and suits that I had, and these friends of mine said, "Come on, you're gonna do the show. You're gonna be the host," and they put me up there drunk. They made big signs for me, and then I just sat up there and drank, and told really terrible jokes, and and characters would come out and uh, you know do some roller skating on the stage, or it, they were pretty funny actually because it was a funny group of people. They look funny. It the was pictures. extreme. I barely remember doing them because it was an extremely drunken time of my life, <laughs> and I wore huge weird hats and. Uh, I had like TV sets embedded in the desks, and you know it was all that performance stuff. But it's just a, an exercise in debauchery. At one point, I stood up on the table, pulled my dick out, and started swinging it around. <laughs> That's the part that I really kind of remember. I'll tell you one act. It was a beautiful act that I did during one of those shows. Was where I dressed myself as a tree, and I put contact paper. All over myself, so I was like, you know, I was like brown, like tree grain, and I had to suck some branches down the back of my neck. And I had this ventriloquist uh, friend. He was a short guy with, uh, and he had a cowboy suit. And I sat on my lap. He was a real person, and he drew little lines on his mouth. And I said, "Now every time I, I squeeze you back your neck, I want you to move your mouth." He said, "Okay, let's be funny," but he didn't realize what I was going to do. I, so I said, "Hey, what, what are you, you going to do next?" And he said. 
I'm gonna suck your dick and I pulled a uh, big wooden pepper grinder out put it on my lap and I just smashed his face onto it and I knew I'd have to do it really hard so that he'd get angry because I didn't want to just like have him get get pissed you know just like no you're disgusting I I really wanted to take a swing at me so I did it hard enough that I cut his lip on the pepper grinder and he did he got up and just burst out into like a real serious fist bite which is what the show needed Uh, how was he uh, after the show? Afterwards, he was like, "What that was great! What a great show that was!" <laughs> really happy with it. Well, that's at the uh, time he was extremely angry, but it was good for the show. I think if I did that to any of my friends, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What yeah. <laughs> now, well, now they do all that stuff on Jackass, but yeah, they're all on PCP, so they don't even feel it, anyways. Uh, that's true. I was well, I was on vodka. Yeah. You, I think you feel it more in vodka, moderately. I think so. <laughs> now, what's interesting with the book is it's kind of like a mix between stuff like that and, like, Batty with a baseball bat up his ass and whatever else. And then the other half, it's like your sensitive side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that yeah. kind of a purposeful uh, balance? Sure, it's my poetic, uh, my poetic soft side with it. That's kind of what the sock monkey is all about. Yeah, because you've got your drinky crow and Uncle Gabby who are just like completely drunken fools out on a ship, and then your Uncle Crow, Mister Crow, and Uncle Gabby the sock monkey. Where you know, because I've always really loved, uh, like, when I was a kid, I read Winnie the Pooh and. Uh, uh, like Alice in Wonderland type stuff. I, like, I lived in the woods. We were kind to animals and all that. And I was, I kind of wanted to like go back to that part of my life because you want to like once you got something going artistically, it's nice to be able to, to tap into memories or you know different parts of yourself that are still there. And so the stuff that I was doing was basically about my own crazy drunken insanity. Mm-hmm. But I am a sentimental person, so I use the soft monkey to get into that that soft side. It's like a one part you're the belligerent drunk that's ready to start a fight with whoever, and the other part's the loving husband and father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the uh, fist fights in the bars and stuff had to end when I decided to become a loving father because you don't really want to be doing that. You get kids. Mm hmm. Also, moving to New York kind of cured me of that. The thing is that if you get into a fistfight in Boston, there's a lot of punching going on. Berlin, a little bit. But in New York, people pull out guns, so you just don't do it. At least that was my experience. It's better not to be dead. Yeah. But uh, I, but I, I really do love the, mix, the mixture of... Uh, like flowery gardens and butterflies and at the bottom of it there's you know some maggots eating a dead cat's head <laughs> it's just a nice contrast there. It, it's yeah it's kind of appropriate to the uh, to, to your work um, I, I really found fascinating the uh, story of your uh, how like you've taken your cousin as like being a part of the um, the sock monkey story Anna Louise. Uh huh. Anna Louise. 
Was hey, really Anne Lewis was my cousin. Yeah. It's just it, I, I guess it kind of adds to the sock monkey of the uh, just why you seem so at ease with the stories. Right. Like it just seems like this is a familiar world to you of something you grew up with. Yeah, every time I try to think of a sock monkey story, it's like, you know, time for another issue. I, did, I never really did too many of them. I only did about two a year. But I would um, I would try to, because I really wanted to have a good story for each one, but yeah. I would try to, you know, just imagine myself back in my grandmother's house with Anne Louise. His cousin was a couple of years older than me and everybody, all, everybody in my immediate family. And she, you know, it was a real... It was a real place, and it was this house was like so magical. There was like these little drawers and with, filled with little antiques and stuff that were just everywhere. Little stairways, and weird um, faucets, old-fashioned faucets. There were some wires in the bathroom that, that lit the electric light. And my uncle Bob, who was you know my mother's age one time, reached up and touched both of them at the same time to see what would happen. And uh, he almost got killed from the electrical blast. Because <laughs> we're just bare wires. Yeah. And that, that antique that antique house is just so beautiful with Anne Louise telling the stories. And then there was a dead uh her brother died when he was like five years old from a brain tumor. So there was kind of the ghost of him going around through her, but they all talked lovingly about him. Mm-hmm. That adds to the tragedy it a lot. It added to yeah. the the scariness of that place. Yeah. It was scary but really very beautiful. Quite wonderful place. Yeah, with a cellar with a train set going around in it that my grandfather did. Oh, the werewolf, oh, the werewolf comes stepping along. He don't even break the branches where he. You can hear his long holler from way across the moon. That's the holler of the werewolf when he's feeling blue. For the werewolf, for the werewolf, as Cause a werewolf is somebody like you me. Once I saw him in the moonlight when the bats were flying. All alone I saw the werewolf and the werewolf was crying.
How much I love the meat as I tear off her clothes. Crying, nobody, nobody knows of my pain. When I see that it's risen, that full moon again. It's neat when you can just kind of pull from different parts for different things, and does that kind of help keep from being stuck into a routine? Stuck in what? Stuck in a routine of just, you know, how do I be, you know, how do I keep being funny and just kind of taking a break and being able to do something that's in a different direction? Right. It's funny, um, I, re- I really try to do a lot, uh, every now and then I'll try to do, like, kids' books, or, and, I, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try to keep it soft, and, but, you know, funny enough the kids will like it, because kids got a dark side too, but then, somehow my own dark side ends up coming out and taking over, and, uh, it's suddenly not a kids' book anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny though, sometimes the dark books are what kids like. Oh yeah, my kids love them. Well, I've uh, heard that quite a lot Where it's like you try and make something, you know Fun and just like Blah, like, you know, just fake and, You know, everything's pretty And kids can tell it's fake Oh, yeah, Th- my daughters love, like, Edward Gorey books And uh, They're really scary stuff they, they don't like There's certain things that they don't like that are scary That other kids don't find scary Like a lot of Disney movies, like uh, they, they love Bambi They're like, <laughs> so, so, well, they got shot, okay So, it's a story but 
that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, they don't like that. They're really afraid of that movie because this child catcher in it. Which, uh... I can see that. Yeah, I guess it's a scary character. I'm not sure. It's funny. It's funny. You know, I mean, I'll play monster movies. They, 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 of course, they don't like uh, flying dinosaurs and stuff, but they're like six and eight years old. But it's all, I'm always surprised at what stuff is not scary to them. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why a, a lot of people fail with doing kids' books is that they're really aiming the kids' book. Oh, this is, this is how you succeed. You've got to get a book. You've got to write a book that scares the mother just a little tiny bit so that she, enough that she likes it. So you're really going to writing the book to the child, to the mother when she was a child. Yeah. So she's going to buy the book. But then the kid won't care. Yeah. I mean, the kid wants something to watch, to watch SpongeBob. Yeah. Terrible, terrible SpongeBob. <laughs> I'm so glad that show is on. It's on like all the time. Oh yeah. So anytime I want I, the kids, you know, I have to like, you know, do some work or something, and my wife is working, and I have to, I just can't pay attention to them. I put on SpongeBob, and then I know they're getting just great cartoons constantly. There we go. You know, it's funny. Nowadays, there are no Saturday morning cartoons, are there? I don't know. I've I'm not up early often on Saturday mornings, but I've noticed that mostly it's golf. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I'm not up in the early in the morning ever, but I know that uh, the cartoons are just, you know, full time. Yeah. Like at 3 o'clock in the morning, they're playing, you know, Yogi Bear. I, I wonder why they do that. A lot of potheads. Yeah, well, Yogi Bear, I could see. But yeah. uh, Caillou? I have no idea what you got to be a monster spothead to watch Caillou. It's a ca- Canadian uh, story about a little baby. <laughs> Mommy, could I have a lollipop now? What's, why isn't the doggy like me? Like, good God. <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Well, you it's did say it's popular. Canadian. Little kids love it. You, you did say it's Canadian, and i got to say I'm from Vancouver, and uh, we're known for our uh, copious amounts of potheads. So, probably explain oh. a lot. I don't know. Maybe but they were co- recording it or something. There we go. Although I remember I did uh, when Teletubbies first came out. It came at 5 o'clock in the morning and I was just like up all night working and I'd watch that. I would drink the last beer and just cry and watch that show. It was so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Chubbies. Look at them. Look at real rabbits running around there. And now the story is going to go all over again. Yeah. Again. Again, again. I don't know, like, oh, please, yeah, play it again. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. Didn't it, wasn't it originally, like, some kind of, ad, like, the pilot was, like, this adult thing that was just, like, ridiculously over, like, just crazy? And was it? I heard that somewhere, but it may be a lie. I got to blow my nose, have a cold. All right. As soon as the school year begins, that's when my colds start coming. Gotta carry around a bottle of Purell and wipe everything with it. Yeah, but then it kills the good germs, the ones that kill the kids' germs. That's true. That's what say. I think the only thing you can do is take a flu shot and just deal with the colds. Yeah. They just don't stop coming. Yeah. Um, well, let's jump into your... Uh, I guess your next book is the the second Billy Hazelnuts. Yeah, should I mention the tour I'm about to go on tomorrow? 
You're going on a tour tomorrow. Going up to Seattle. Oh, nice. First, we're going to Portland. I'm going to Portland with Chris Onstead. You know him? I know his work. Akewood, yeah. Yeah. Going to Portland, Oregon on the 23rd. We'll be there at 7.30 at Palo City of Books. Then on September 25th, we're going to go to Puyallup, Washington, where oh, that is. You you're going to do the Puyallup. Puyallup. What is that? It's, uh, are you going, is it still the, um, they have, oh. like, festival there? What's it? The, uh, Puyallup. Comic Evolution. Oh, oh, is a comic store there? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I know they used... When I was growing up watching TV, they'd have the Puyallup uh, Fair or the County Fair there, but I guess it's a little late in the year for it. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, though the County Fair is happening in, in Los Angeles, though. Oh, you know what? It was right by there where that uh, escaped uh, crazy man was. Oh, great. I was wondering if I, gonna, if I was going to run into him. I guess they caught him, though. They caught him. Sorry. I wanted to find that That guy. may have actually been the Puyallup. The Puyallup is the, the name of a festival? It's the the county fair. The Do the Puyallup. <laughs> is it close to Seattle? Yeah. yeah it's, oh, just, it's just uh, north of it, I think. And we're going to be in Seattle on the 26th. At the old Fenographic store? No, we're going to go to the Comics Dungeon this time. Oh, okay. Going to spread it out a little. I think I've been to that comic store. It's one of those older ones that still has stuff that's not a graphic novel. Really? Real comic books? Real comic books. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, even an adult section. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not funny, uh, Fantagraphics has an adult section. As, well, they sell they have, they have adult comics, but I don't know if they have a section. They used to. But you, it's all mail order, now, isn't it? Well, what they had, like, you've been in the store, right? In the Seattle store, yeah. Yeah. They, they uh, Fantagraphics. They used to have... Like one room that's the bargain room, and the other room was like all the adult comics room. But I think they got rid of the adult comics room and just mixed that into the bargain room. Uh huh. Because no one really cared about the adult comics that much anymore. Because porn's yeah. pretty easy to come by. Oh now. yeah. Because you can just go uh, on your computer. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. The um, now it's now it's like two uh, two separate stores, a record store. Yeah. yeah. No, it was always like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the record store was there first, and then they moved into the adjoining space. Oh. But it's a neat it's a neat thing. I saw... That's a great place up there. Yeah. It's uh, a lot of fun. I saw Pete Bag's band play there just before Christmas. That was kind of neat. I'd like to see the action, is it the action suits, or is that a different band? It's a newer one called uh, Can You Imagine? <laughs> and it's uh, it's what you'd expect from Pete Bag. It's all pop ditties. It's good times. I love watching 50-year-old men play guitars. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Pete Bank My favorite quote from him was Why didn't I kill myself When I was 25 When I had the knife <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of words to live by He's a funny guy Yeah, no, he's uh, one of my favorites One of the first yeah. guys That really got me into comics was, Yeah, uh, me too Reading those hates Me was too I, moved, I was, uh, shared an apartment With Helena Harvillich And she she used to be the the uh, editor of the the comics journal. Oh, okay. And she had big, big long books, long boxes of hate magazines. It's like all the hate magazines that, she, that were in there. I love those things. You're great. It's like it's it's great reading anything that's in the in the in the, in the form of a uh, soap opera. It is a soap opera. Right. It's a soap opera where, you know, the characters have, they're more realistic. Yeah. I'm sure we all know someone that's like Stinky. Right. 
I probably know a couple of people. So where else are you going? You got Puyallup and then... That's it. Uh, That's it. wanted to keep it short. I got kids. So I said uh, I just want to go away for the weekend. Too bad we didn't get you up to Vancouver. Yeah, I would have gotten to Vancouver if I, if if I had a, could get a passport. Uh, too many laws broken? No, I could get a passport, but it's like I keep forgetting to get around to it, and it takes a long time to get one now. Yeah, it's a pain. It's really frustrating. I don't have one yet, so I haven't been down to Seattle in a while. Um, Billy Hazelnuts? Billy Hazelnuts 2 is coming out. Following uh, the stories of Billy with the uh, nuts for eyes? Oh, yeah. That was a fun, a fun one. Because I, it's like, I, like five years ago, so I was walking around in the streets... I was like, what would be the perfect character to, like, sell? Just like a little <laughs> brown sort of stuffed toy. I thought, yeah, like a little brown cake man. I thought, that's good. Let's make a story about that. And then I just got into it. Now it's just really fun comics to, try, to draw. It's just, like, otherworldly, just kind of odyssey-type thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like... It's an adventure comic, I guess. Let's go across the mountains and sail a ship. It's an adventure comic, exactly. It's a fun like Roy one. Crane. There we go. It's what, what Roy Crane would do if he. Uh, yeah, if he did, if he wasn't flying to actual cities like Bombay. Yeah. So this is coming up for Fantagraphics in the spring, hopefully. Uh-huh. What's uh, what's going on with uh, with with Mister Hazelnuts? Uh, this time he's got uh, troubles with a uh, an owl that is. He beating up the cat that he that lives in his garden. He's, he begins loathing animals in the farm. He just can't stand them all. Except that he fights his cat, and uh, Becky's telling him to. He's going to be nicer to the animals because you know don't be jealous just because you're not a real animal. So this owl starts beating up uh, their cat, which he hates. He punches the cat in the face, the owl in the face, and then the whole thing goes on that he finds it, that the owl flew away, but it has a little baby. So now he's going to take care of the baby. Then that's when the trouble starts. All right. So it's kind of a premise where you could do something really silly and kidsy and uh, James Kachalkish, <laughs> or you could do something that's just plain running around saying, hey, you guys, where did you go? Like, Jeff Smith, mm-hmm. or you could um, take it into the deep wonders of the mind, like Tony Millionaire. There we go. Um, the TV show got canceled, though. It got canceled. Yeah. Oh. It lasted like one season, and then they were like, they were telling us the, the ratings are really good. I mean, they're pretty good. They're better than what was there before. And we said, great. What are we going to know about it? They said, well, we've got a lot of meetings coming up. And then uh, suddenly Cartoon Network's budget got cut by 20%. They said, oh, <laughs> you got to have robot chicken ratings to, to survive in this thing. And, which we didn't. No. It's so we got canceled. It's sad, because I, I normally don't like most of the um, Cartoon Swim stuff. I find them a lot of just... I'm not in high school, so the jokes don't make much sense to me, I guess. But I really enjoy the Drinky Crow. So. But like you said... The stoners do. No. <laughs> the stoners rule the world, Tony. Stoners rule. Yep, it's either kids or stoners. Or um, people that watch, like, the new, uh, all the really new, good, new, really good shows on HBO. 
But I mean, those are just on HBO, though. Huh? Those are just on HBO, though. They're not. Yeah, and they're just they're shows. They're not cartoons. Yeah. That's what they need. HBO needs cartoons. Maybe. Well, uh, anyway, the, the thing is, it's it, during car, during cartoon live cartoons. I really felt like I was out of my element. I wasn't really. It really, it's not really what I do, and it's like a totally different. It was great to learn it, and it was great to work with a bunch of other people who are funny and fun. Yeah. But you'd be looking at the cartoon, go, whoa, 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 don't go that way. And then they'd say, well, we kind of have to because it's not a comic strip. Like, uh, maybe we could do it like this. You know, it was a lot of like trying to control it from becoming something awful. Yeah. And I think I did a pretty good job. I mean, and everybody there. Did, um, real, did, did really well in no, considering that they they also wanted to do, not do something awful but there's certain things that are like that are rules like you can't have a character that doesn't have pupils like Uncle Gabby what in a, in a cartoon there's a few why there's not Bar- Barney and Wilma that's about it because you can't it's really hard to show expression without pupils and eyebrows mm. and uh, so I said we gotta, we're gonna do it the character and then they figured out a way to do it and it was real tricky for them but they did it and it worked it worked out worked out great because he used a lot of body language and he could do frowns and stuff the eye of the crow was really tricky undrinky you gotta make the, the eye blink when you just put a if it's live action it's gotta blink or it just looks weird it looks like a balloon with an eye painted on it mm-hmm. so to make him blink if you put the whole eyelid on top of him, the, the, his eye is the size of his head, so it just looked like a weird, giant, black flash on his head. You know <laughs> what I mean? So there was a lot of tricks, things like that that were real tricky. And then getting the textures right, that took a long time. But we finally got some amazing, good, amazingly good artists that worked out uh, textures and made the thing look like an old Sunday newspaper comic. Yeah, because it was uh, computer animated, right? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was. Indeed. We wanted to get a real depth and have it, like you know, like those old Popeye cartoons. You saw them in three d- three dimensions. The old Fleischers. Yeah, like the like uh, Sid by the Sailor, mm-hmm. when he's walking around the mountain. They, they actually built a model of the mountain. Really? Yeah, you could see it turn in three D. Well, the Fleischers really—they um, were the—they were the first guys to really try doing anything different. They did the rotoscope. Yeah, was that the rotoscope? Is that what I'm talking about? The ro- maybe in the rotoscope. Well, the rotoscope was um, that's more when you have people that you're animating. Uh-huh. But it could be the mountains too. Like that was, uh, you know, the clown they did back in the silent era. The what was it called? I can't remember. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get on the Netflix and rent everything from Fleischer. It's pretty fantastic. Because I by the Sailor and uh, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. They got a lot of that. Where they build models, paint them to look like the cartoons, and then move the camera so that, so until you got that 3D effect. I've got uh, this thing that I got for an animation thing I did with Kim Deitch last year, where it was uh, Fleischer did a lot of sing-alongs, uh-huh. so they'd have part of the thing with you know these people just singing, you know, it was this group of sisters, and then it would part way through it would mer- it would switch into the uh, a cartoon. Or no, the cartoon would go, and then all the pieces would fall out, and we'd create the stage they're sitting on and stuff. So it was quite right. neat. That's great. I'll have to get you a copy. Those guys are really good. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty much down to Fleischer, and then Warner Brothers 
And then nothing spectacular happened until SpongeBob. As far as really <laughs> great cartoons. Uh, there's some neat stuff in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, I'm being unfair. Uh, yeah, was, uh, you know, I saw some stuff, some good Terry tunes. Yeah, some good Terry tunes. And I don't, uh, how, who can forget all the Hanna-Barbera stuff? Yeah. Bullwinkle? The, yo, Bullwinkle, my God, you're right. It's like the best cartoon. I kept telling them. <laughs> I kept telling them. Yeah, see, now my whole argument is totally out the window. <laughs> I kept telling these guys, these animators. I said, try not to make them the... If it's, because especially because it's 3D animation, you know CG. Yeah. Try not to make the move so fluidly because that's what that's what ruins it. And I said, try to make them do a lot of snap two poses like Bullwinkle. Yeah. It'll maybe a lot less work because you just have them standing like this, and now he's standing like this, and it'll look, it'll look really cool. It'll look like a homemade cartoon a little bit. But they just couldn't. They really couldn't let go of it. They tried to do snap two poses, but not quite enough for my life. They didn't watch enough Rocky Bullwinkle. Yeah, exactly. I even sent them the tape. They were, they were actually making it in uh, in Romania, in Transylvania. The so Drinky Crow cartoon? The studio was. Really? Yeah, we had all the uh, the artists and the, the background artists, the voices artists, and the director were here. The story, but you know, like the character designers and all, they were all here in the Hollywood area. Mm-hmm. But then we would send it to them because they had the they had the studio in Pennsylvania that was owned by our producer. Well, it's a lot cheaper over there. Well, it's if we had done it here, we, we would not have been able to do it at all because the only stuff you could do here is uh, you know Coraline. Ah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, movies stuff that yeah. Kind of real budget to it otherwise you, no, can't, no. you can't pay a guy five dollars an hour here <laughs> you just, then you don't, just don't have a cartoon yeah you gotta go where the uh, the sweatshops are exactly I mean those guys in, in Transylvania were real happy to get five dollars an hour because they could buy a lot of like uh, American blue jeans yeah buy, buy American blue, <laughs> blue jeans Italian uh, suede shoes and uh, sausages and Bruce Springsteen tapes and the insane vodka that they drink over there. It's not even vodka. I don't know what it's made out of. But it's strong. Um, yeah, it's probably made out of magic. Yeah. There we go. Uh, anything else coming out soon? Just the two the two main books, the Billy Hazelnuts 2. Well, and we're just constantly pushing f- oh, for books. Mackies. Uh, just, I just keep chugging on what I'm doing. We're trying to... Trying to uh, Work on. I've always got some kind of a pilot going on or a pitch going on for a sock monkey movie or something like that. I mean, I just said a minute ago that I'm out of my element when I'm doing animation, but I really secretly love having uh, 16 different things going on at the same time. That's a good thing. Yeah. And Mackie's is still being published weekly? Mackie's, I will never give up until the final paper drops it. You'll Down to about six or seven papers now. Oh wow! Yeah, well, I mean, I never had more than twelve, really. But yeah. I always had good papers. Portland and Seattle, and, or, and New York, are like that's where all the cartoonists are. Yeah, and Vancouver. Yeah, we haven't had uh, any stuff with you here in a while. Yeah, monkeys for a while. We, we did at the Terminal City. At the Terminal City, remember uh, Drippy Town? Yeah, Drippy Town. Julian Lawrence uh, is a friend of mine. Really? He's still putting out that new, I see, like, uh, a weekly strip now that's really very funny. Yeah, he's 
he's so talented. He's uh, he does not stop doing stuff. Yeah, that's a good idea. Just keep mm-hmm. doing it. No, Drippy Town. It's uh, they haven't done Drippy Town in quite a while, um, but it is really quite a fantastic thing. There's uh, yeah, one of the guys that does it with him, Ted Dave. I did an art show uh, last year, and he made a a piece out of, of uh, it was like a comic page out of Fimo. Uh huh. Comic page of what? It was a comic page made out of Fimo. What is Fimo? Fimo is like the it's like a multiple clay that you heat in the oven or harden in the oven. So just imagine like this sculpture of clay, colorful clay, making up a comic page. Weird. Yeah, it was <laughs> fantastic. It is it, it's odd. But what uh, did he do? Photograph it? No, no. It was uh, on the wall. Oh, okay. That was it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's. Uh, I love that kind of thing. Just playing with the media and doing what you can with it. Yeah, I had so. some friends in Berlin that used to do uh, paintings, but they were made. They, were, they did them with a jigsaw puzzle uh, with a jigsaw and wood. They had that famous old joke where there's a girl on her knees giving fellatio to a man, and she's got a twelve pack, a case of beer on her for on her balance on her head. That was something they painted. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds classic. It was classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Tony. Okay. It was good chat. It was very good. Jack Ryan was as good a fiddler as ever fiddled on a string. He could make young women mad to the tunes fiddles. He could fiddle the fish out of salt water Or water from a marble stone Or the milk out of a maiden's grass Oh baby, she got As a he sat a fiddling in a castle hall Played them also sound asleep, excepting for the young countess, and for love she stayed away. First he played a slow, slow air, and then he played it brisk and gay, and though dear love. Behind her hand, this lady she did say. When the day has done, and the cocks have crowned, and spread their wings so wide, it's a you may come to my bedroom door to lay down by my side. A laptop is a fiddle in a cloth of green and stole out on his tiptoe, and then he's run off to his own house as fast as he could go. 
one day has done And the cocks have crowned And spread their wings so wide It's I am bidden to That lady's door To stretch out by her side Ooh, Lie down and rest My good master And here's a blanket to your head I'll awaken you In as good a time As any cockerel in the land When Tom took the fiddle Into his hand He fiddled and sang for a full hour And he played his master fast asleep And he's off to that lady's bar And when he came to that lady's door He's twirled so softly at the pin And the lady drew to her promise Pulls up and let him in Well, he didn't take that lady That lady gay To Boston or to bed But down upon her power flow He quickly had her laid He neither kissed her when he came Nor yet when from her he needed go And in and out of the window The moon like a cold glow Master, 
Why do you snore so loud? Ah, there's not a cock in all this land but has clapped his wings and crowed. Jack O'Brien's off to that lady's house as fast as he could run, saying, Here am I. Rise up and let me in Surely you didn't leave behind A bracelet or a velvet glove Or is it you've come back again To taste more of my love Swore a bloody oath by oak and ash and litter thorn, saying, Lady, I in your house since the day that I was born. Oh, then it was your young foot page that has so cruelly been. Me, and woe that the blood of the ruffian lad should spring in my body. Oh, oh. oh Jack O'Brien's run to his own house. St. John, me boy, come here to me. And he's a mad boy. From his own gate post, as high as a willow tree. 